So I'm going to do a read along with one of my favorite LSAT passages, which I haven't looked at in a few months. So this might be a little meandering as I go through it. This is section or passage two from LSAT prep test 73. It's about a Victorian photographer named Julia Margaret Cameron. Uh, the first paragraph talks about Cameron's fancy subject pictures. Right away, I see a hyphen. So I skip to the end of the hyphen so that I end up reading what Cameron called her fancy subject pictures. They are unmistakable traces of the often comical conditions under which they were taken. In many respects, they have more connection to the family album pictures of recalcitrant relatives who have been herded together for the obligatory group picture than they do to the masterpieces of Western painting. Then I see the next sentence talks about Raphael and Giotto. So I won't read though that sentence because I know that it's gonna be about the masterpieces of Western painting, not about her art. Then I skip to these traces, of course, or would give the photographs their life and charm. And this last sentence, it says, if Cameron had succeeded in her project, I see that that's gonna be irrelevant. And I can kind of tell that by skipping ahead and seeing that they're talking about Oscar Gustav Raylander's extravagantly awful, the two ways of life. So I kind of skip to the very end where I see rather than among its most vital images. So I know that this author thinks that Julia Cameron's fancy subject pictures are among the most vital images of Victorian photography. And I'm just gonna read to you what I actually read in this paragraph so that you see how I skip. What Cameron called her fancy subject pictures bear unmistakable traces of the often comical conditions under which they were taken. In many respects, they have more connection to the family album pictures of recalcitrant relatives who have been herded together for the obligatory group picture than they do to the masterpieces of Western painting. These traces, of course, are would give the photographs their life and charm. If Cameron had succeeded in her project, stop reading. Second paragraph, it is precisely the camera's, I'm gonna read what I actually read going through this. It is precisely the camera's realism that has given Cameron's theatricality and artificiality its atmosphere of truth. It is the truth of the sitting. I'm not gonna read that sentence. They are what they are, pictures of housemaids. Stopping here. I see a list of what the subjects are. The way each sitter endures his or her ordeal is the collective action of the photograph. Stop reading because I see that its plot, so to speak, is kind of redundant. Um, so this is a lot of commentaries. I'm not really interested in this. Once again, I'm gonna read you what I actually read. It is precisely the camera's realism that has given Cameron's theatricality and artificiality its atmosphere of truth. It is the truth of the sitting rather than the fiction, which all of the dressing up was an aid of. Stop. Theater can transcend its doubleness. Stop. We're always aware of the photograph's doubleness of each figure's imaginary and real personas. Still photographs of theatrical scenes can never escape being pictures of actors. Okay. This is a very 
commentary heavy paragraph, not really interested in it. What gives Cameron's pictures of actors their special quality is their singular combination of amateurism and artistry. And this is what I call, if you listen to my last podcast, this is what I call a case study paragraph here. She's talking about the passing of Arthur. And I can see that this whole second half of this third paragraph is about the passing of Arthur because the passing of Arthur repeats here. So I read this last sentence, while Cameron's fancy subject pictures have been compared to poor amateur theatricals, the passing of Arthur puts one in mind of good amateur theatricals one has seen and recalls with shameless delight. Okay, so let me go into the questions. Eight is a main point question, I'm gonna skip it. The author mentions the props employed in the passing of Arthur. This again is how you can get faster. If you haven't read about the passing of Arthur, you go in there and you look. Okay, here are the props employed in the passing of Arthur. There is a list, but the details are insignificant. And here I'm really clear that I'm, I'm able to rule out D and E very quickly. It's not a negative appraisal of the work because the author likes it. Uh, he doesn't talk about irony. If he were talking about irony, uh, do a control F. And you'll see that irony isn't actually in the paragraph. That's a word that they would mention explicitly. They wouldn't um, use a synonym. Okay, so it has to be A, B, or C testimonies to Cameron's ingenuity. We got rid of C because there's no reference of ingenuity. So it should be between A and B examples of amateur aspects, amateurish aspects versus B evidence of the transformative power of theater. But uh, it's definitely A because you can see here that he mentions the singular combination of amateurism and artistry. He's comparing it to amateur theater. The actual example is not a work of amateur theater. Uh, 10, we get to something about suspension of disbelief near the middle of the second paragraph. I don't really want to look at that right now because it's kind of buried in there. Um, Cameron is most like which of the following in relation to her fancy subject pictures. Hmm, I'm kind of interested in this. Um, I know that it's C because I just do. Um, you can infer this from how they're talking about. Uh, he says that Cameron, uh, let me read you some of the evidence for this choice that supports it. At the end of the first paragraph, he says that if Cameron had succeeded in her project of making seamless works of illustrative art, that means that she didn't succeed, right? The artwork is not seamless. You can see kind of imperfections in it that is um, discussed in detail in the first paragraph. You can pick up on that from reading this where they say uh, they have more connection to family album pictures than they do to masterpieces of Western painting. So it's the idea that it's an amateur kind of artist. Um, then paragraph two, Cameron's theatricality and artificiality has an atmosphere of truth, the truth of the sitting. It says the photographs are wonderful and strange. They're pictures of housemaids, family members, village children dressed up as Mary Madonna's, infant Jesus's and John the Baptist's and Lancelot's and Guinevere's trying desperately hard to sit still. So it's 
that there's kind of amateur people in this, that they're kind of like low budget down market in a way. Um, and then it really, really, really gets to it in the third paragraph where they say the singular combination of amateurism and artistry. So that really is a perfect match for C where they say a certain grandeur, even though they're clearly constructed out of ordinary objects. He's talking about um, romantic fantasy, magical and mysterious within this photo. So um, it really, you really can get this answer just by looking at the third paragraph, which I would say is kind of where I got, it gave me the idea after doing question nine that these things have something in common. So let's talk about A, a playwright who introduces incongruous elements to preserve an aesthetic distance between characters and audience. Well, uh, that's just not right. Um, the, you would see this, this kind of thing match more to like a work of literary criticism rather than something saying, you know, these Julia Cameron photos, they're awesome because she's this amateur photographer, but the works are grand and, you know, romantic and blah, blah, blah. So um, it's just, it's not a match here. Be a rap artist whose lyrics are designed to subvert the meaning of a song. Yeah, there's no subversion here. This is very like, she's very by the book. She's kind of playing it straight, right? Like there, he's treating her like she's a straight woman in comedy, right? Um, they use that word um, comical comical conditions in the first paragraph bear unmistakable traces of the often comical conditions in which they were taken like he's creating this picture of kind of like this goofy lady who's like really doing trying to do something serious with like a bunch of swarming kids and somehow the pictures come out great so if you look at them online I think it actually um, will help you understand this a little better because you will see like the effect that this person is talking about um, but yeah there's no subversion again this is this is a term like irony where uh, if they were talking about subversion, it would really, really, really be in there as a, as a theme. Um, D, an architect whose buildings are designed to be as functional as possible. Well, this is not, this would be in something about art. Uh, there, uh, there's different passages about art where this would be the case. Uh, you'll see something like this about sculptors. Um, not really with this, like there's no discussion of function or utility within this. I mean, these are works of pure art. There's nothing, um, utilitarian about them, I guess is the word that comes to mind with D. Uh, D, there would be some, some idea of utilitarianism of designing things for their purpose. And that's not the case here. E is actually a pretty appealing option, employs ordinary people as actors in order to give the appearance of a documentary. Well, that's what's weird um, here is the idea of this kind of genre switch being really key to what the director is doing. And there's nothing, again, it's that she's playing it very straight. She's really trying to make a picture here of King Arthur, and she's having people use broomsticks as oars in the boat that she draped with curtains or whatever. So there, there really is this idea of everyday objects uh, being appropriated to make this work of transformative art that kind of surpasses its component parts. And that is what makes C a very good answer. Uh, 12, this is another author attitude question. So I'm gonna skip it. 13, the passage provides the most support for inferring that in Cameron's era. Hmm. Well, okay, this one's funny. 
Uh, I'll tell you where it is. Okay, there was little interest in photographs documenting contemporary life. Okay, they never talk about that. Photography was mainly practiced by wealthy amateurs. They would actually talk about it. Okay, I think we can kind of infer that she's a wealthy amateur because she has a maid, she has maids and, you know, she has time to be doing all of this, but no, like it would, it would really be saying, uh, it would be like a, like a thing about the majority. They would talk, you know, mainly like that, that's a word where you're looking for something like, um, you know, most, right? So you're looking for evidence. There would be evidence that the majority or more than 50% of photographers were wealthy amateurs. That's not in there. Okay. Publicity stills of actors were coming into vogue. Well, um, so here's what's kind of interesting. She says pictures of actors, their special quality. Like, I think that when she's, when the author says this, that they don't mean literally actors, like a star in, of screen and stage. I think they mean, um, actors within the photograph, which can be amateurs. So it would be a pretty common mistake, I think, to look for something having to do with actors, especially since the word shows up twice in the passage. But uh, it says here, still photographs of theatrical scenes can never escape being pictures of actors. That's not actually talking about her work. This is introduced as commentary on, you know, similarities between theater and Julia Cameron's work, which the author kind of explores. So uh, publicity stills of actors were coming into vogue. They would actually be talking about headshots and they don't talk about that. So, right, they're not talking about her taking publicity stills of actors when they go into the third paragraph talking about the passing of King Arthur. They're actually talking about her posing actors within her photos to make these scenes. Then D, there were no professional artists models. Well, the word no is, the problem here is, is there any evidence that there were none? Um, there's definitely not, okay? I would say very, very clearly that there were none and no does mean none. I mean zero, and um, you know I think we can we can wonder where their professional artist models. Why would this person use kids and nieces and nephews and maids instead of artist models? If there were artist models, but we're thinking too hard about it. Okay, e the time required to take a picture was substantial. This is directly supported, where it says that the way it's in the second paragraph the way each sitter endures his or her ordeal um their fate okay in the end of paragraph one it says when she, when they're this is where i read the raphael and giotto comparison uh it says in raphael and giotto there are no infant christs whose faces are blurred because they moved or who are looking at the viewer with frank hatred. If you pair that with the truth of the sitting, they are trying desperately hard to sit still. The way each sitter endures his or her ordeal is the collective action of the photograph, the plot. So if these movements are captured on the camera, if people are having to sit still for a long time, we can infer that it took some time to take a picture. Now I think, I think we don't like this answer because this 
this word substantial, it modifies it in a way that is frankly kind of aggressive and out of scope, but there is the most support for this because the other ones are so clearly wrong. So number 14, the discussion of suspension of disbelief in the second paragraph. Um, okay, when we look at a narrative painting, we can suspend our disbelief. When we look at a narrative photograph, we cannot. Hmm, this is an interesting question. I'm gonna come back to this. What's the main purpose of the paragraph? Is it, it's not to chronicle her development. That would be a chronological piece. It would be like a timeline. And it would be saying that the passing of Arthur is like at the end of her career. No, uh, the tension between the aims and results enhances the work's aesthetic value. I would agree with this uh, to show that Cameron's essentially theatrical vision accounts for both the strengths and weaknesses of her photographic oeuvre. I don't like, okay, this is trying to mislead you by making you think that the discussions of amateur productions and actors have to do with theater or that she has a theatrical vision. No, they're comparing what she achieves to amateur theater. Um, and they don't really talk about the weaknesses of the photography. Whenever they talk about what we might think is a weakness, they're using it to say that the weakness, um, you know, like the amateur qualities, the imperfections, that those enhance the work. So this person's not interested in the weaknesses. They're saying that the weaknesses are what makes the work amazing. Okay, uh, project, her project of acquiring for photography, the prestige accorded to painting was doomed to failure. Well, no, no, it would be talking about her having an ambitious project to do this. This is never mentioned, get rid of it. Um, defend, E, defend Cameron's masterpiece, the passing of Arthur against its detractors by showing that it transcends the homely details of its setting. Well, I mean, here's the thing, he's not actually addressing detractors. And if this were the case, then the whole thing would really be more about the passing of Arthur. It wouldn't be an example or a case study that they introduce at the end after making this argument in B that the tension between her aims and the results she achieved enhances the work's aesthetic values, right? And as far as her aims, her aims are very simple. They're to make a serious painting, a serious artistic painting of these iconic scenes, right? Like there's scenes in the Western canon. That's why we're talking about Giotto and, and Raphael. We're talking about, you know, her trying to reproduce these images that to a Victorian viewer would have been recognizable um, you know, moving. So, you know, maybe she's photographing the Virgin Mary holding the Christ child. Uh, certainly she's photographing King Arthur, not just in this photo, but they talk about Guinevere, who's another character in Arthurian legend. So she's, she's photographed, she wants to make high, you know, high art in the form of photography based on these legends and visual references. That's her aim. And the results are that they're kind of goofy, right? They're not, they're not perfect. They're kind of cheesy. And the author thinks that that's what makes them awesome. Okay, so that's 15. So I'm gonna go back and look at eight, which is the main point of the passage. Um, okay, so I'm interested in A, that they render them unintentionally comical, but I don't think that's the main point. B, the peculiar charm derives from the viewer's simultaneous awareness of the fictional scene portrayed in the circumstances of its portrayal. Well, that looks pretty good. 
Let's see. See the implicit claim of Cameron's fancy subject pictures to comparison with the masterpieces is undermined by the obtrusiveness of the sitters. No, that would that's a more critical take, and this person likes her work. D, the most successful of her fancy subject pictures are those in which the viewer is completely unaware. Oh, definitely not. He thinks that the most charming and awesome ones are the ones where the sitters are kind of a mess, right? Or they're using a broomstick or whatever. Okay, E, the interest of her fancy subject pictures consistent with what they tell us about the sitters, not in the imaginary scenes they portray. Well, I think he would agree with that, but it's definitely B. And what's hard about B is that they're using the word peculiar in an unusual way here. So when they say peculiar, they mean unique or special. They don't necessarily mean peculiar in a bad way. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of support for this. And it, it really is this last bit of paragraph one where you can really find the support for B. Okay, so let's look at 10. Which would most help exclaim the team? Okay, I still don't want to answer 10. So what's up with 12? Okay, based on the passage, the author would agree with each of the following statements except. Okay, and I always reread that except part when I'm doing one of these because I find that I can end up picking the right thing, the wrong thing if I don't reread except. Okay, a less realistic medium can be more conducive to suspension of disbelief than a more realistic medium. Okay, well, I don't think he would agree with that, but let's look at the rest of them. Amateurish is a positive quality. Yes, he would agree with that in some works of art. He would agree with B. What might appear to be an incongruity in a narrative photograph can actually enhance its aesthetic value. He would definitely agree with that. We're sometimes aware of both the real and the imaginary persona of an actor in a drama. Oh, I think he would definitely agree with that. A work of art succeeds only to the extent that it realizes the artist's intentions. So I'm really between A and E here. I actually find this to be a really difficult question. So I'm gonna go ahead and look at 14. Uh, suspension of disbelief in the second paragraph serves which of the following purposes. Uh, okay, when we look at a narrative painting, we can suspend our disbelief and look at the narrative photograph. We cannot. Okay, so it's kind of contrasting. Um, it's not the main the main conclusion. Um, this is a contrast. Mm, see, key step in the argument supporting the author's negative appraisal. No, he does not have a negative appraisal. Used to explain a criticism of Cameron's fancy subject pictures. Um, mm, so E is wrong because he's comparing, he says that Julia's fancy subject pictures are like theater. So that's why that one's wrong. Um, explain a criticity, explain a criticism of Cameron's fancy subject pictures that the author shows to be conceptually confused. I think it's B, and I, I, one of the reasons I kind of know is because they use this word peculiar again. And the other reason it's not D is because the author would be engaging more explicitly with criticism and right used to explain a criticism. Like he would be talking more explicitly about a critic of Cameron's work. 
and that's not here going on here. So I'm going to look back at 12. Uh, would the author agree? I think this is going to get me to the answer on 12. Would the author agree that a less realistic medium can be more conducive to suspension of disbelief than a more realistic medium? He would agree with that, right? Because he thinks that paintings are less realistic, but more conducive to suspending disbelief, right? Even though uh, the photograph is, is real. So, and that's funny because it's very literal. I think that's what makes this so difficult. But then in E, it succeeds only to the extent that it realizes the artist's intentions. Well, I think, he would say that these photographs realize her intention. So it's in the end of par it's in the middle of paragraph three where he talks about the passing of Arthur and says that the details are insignificant. And why is that? Because the homely truth of the sitting gives right of place to the romantic fantasy of its director. The picture is magical and mysterious. So it says it's like good amateur theatrical musicals, like when they're good, they're good um, because they're conveying the vision of the director. So uh, that's why it's E. And then let's look at 10. What about the claim of suspension of disbelief? Boy, this is tough. Okay. Boy, this is a really hard question. And this is one I would not fuck around with. I would just go on to the next paragraph. But if I'm going to be doing this, I'm going to do this one. I don't, I honestly do not remember the answer. So I am most interested in D. So he says, when we look at a narrative painting, we can suspend our disbelief. When we look at a narrative photograph, we cannot. So how are the photograph and the painting different? And we can kind of get to this by looking at some of these. Okay, so sitting for a painting takes much longer than sitting for a photograph. That doesn't get at something that's like different about them in terms of what they're, portraying or the experience of looking at them. B, paintings unlike photographs can depict obviously impossible situations. Um, see, I don't like this one because if it's depicting an impossible situation, wouldn't we have a, wouldn't we be unable to suspend our disbelief? So that's why I'm getting rid of this one. C, all of the sitters for a painting do not have to be present at the same time. Well, that doesn't really matter. Because again, um, whether or not they have to be there all at once, they're kind of appearing when you look at it. So it doesn't, it doesn't really change how you are suspending your disbelief by interacting with the painting. And finally, E, paintings typically bear the stylistic imprint of an artist's schooler period. Well, I think this is just out of scope because it doesn't actually get to whether or not we can just kind of engage with what we're seeing in the painting by suspending our disbelief. Okay, so D, a painter can suppress details about a sitter that are at odds with an imaginary persona. Yeah, I think that when we go on to look at this, 
when the way that the author talks about Julia Cameron, he's saying that we kind of have a hard time suspending our disbelief because we're always aware of the photograph's doubleness of each figure's real and imaginary personas. Whereas if we can suppress details about the way the person in my paintings look, then they can more credibly become an imaginary person, right? Like, and it, he kind of talks about this with the infant Christs, with the Christ children in these photographs and paintings. So we can kind of suspend our disbelief, I guess, when we're looking at a picture of baby Jesus, like a painting of baby Jesus versus, um, you know, a live ass baby that's wiggling around, making funny faces in a photo, right? There's not a lot of suspension of disbelief because you're really looking at a photo of a live kid right there in front of the camera, right? And that kid is just so real that like, you're looking at the kid, you're not really looking at Jesus. It's like the doubling that this person's talking about. So that's why it's D. This one's really confusing. Um, Hope this helps. This is one of the more difficult passages around, I think. And I hope that talking about how I kind of skip around in it to have more space for the questions, the question order I go through, I hope that helps you get something out of it, even if some of these explanations aren't completely satisfying to you. All I can say about that is that they just start to make more sense as you do more of these types of exercises. The test does just have some preferences that I think over time become clearer. So I hope this helps. If you have any questions, email me, contact at lsat.com, message me on Instagram, LSAT tutoring. And yeah, if you need help with the LSAT, we got tutors at a couple different price points. We're always here to try to help you find affordable help and get the score that you're hoping for to go to law school. So get in touch anytime. Hope this helped. And definitely look at some pictures. Do a Google image search for Julia Cameron because her stuff's pretty sweet. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one.